Oh, Father God. Oh, Lord God, we come into your presence right now. We come into your presence, God. And Lord Jesus, I thank you. Nothing can stop us from coming into your presence. And nothing can stop the power of the Holy Spirit. And nothing can stop what you will do today. Lord, it's the truth of the word going out, God. So, Lord Jesus, we praise you. We praise you. We pray. Lord God, I just claim a mighty victory. So come, Holy Spirit, and just speak to us today, Father God. And thank you, Jesus, that you are among us. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. 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 So the name of this one is Anxiety. May I introduce you to the Prince of Peace? So this is a talk on anxiety. And, uh, and um, I started doing this research, you know, from the CDC about anxiety and 2020 and anxiety and the suicide and the depression and the blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, this is a waste of my time because everybody knows it's through the roof. You don't need my statistics. You guys know that it is through the roof all over the world. We know that anxiety has just... It's exponential right now, and it is across the boards. Um, and then what was interesting to me, as I was doing the research, it was saying, every single research was saying what the government, uh, how is it, I put the term here, uh, the government response, how the government was going to help with our anxiety. It's all about the government response, and I'm like, the government is, is causing the anxiety more than anything. I'd rather have the COVID versus the government these days. So I'm like, so, but this is all we've got, right? This is all the CDC has to offer us is how the government might be able to help us. And we know that they are not helping us. Um, here's the thing, and this shouldn't scare you. And I'm gonna, by the end, I promise you it won't. Truly, if this takes root in you, it will not scare you. But the reality is the Bible warns us, this isn't gonna get better. This isn't gonna get better. So if your peace is rooted in the world system, this is going to get harder and easier because this is what the Bible says. The Apostle Paul says, you should know this. He's like, this is important for you to know. In the last days, there will be terrible and very difficult times, and it's all about people. People will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful, proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, and ungrateful, they will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others, have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They will have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Stay away from people like this. So interestingly enough, because people are always so worried, like it's going to be about the economic downturn. It is not going to be the economic downturn. It's the, the, the prophecy tells us, that it will be like in the days of Noah. People will be buying, selling, <laughs> celebrating weddings. Life will be normal. It's, it, it's not, the, the terrible times isn't about, you know, the Great Depression. The terrible times is about the condition of people's souls. The condition of men and women and their souls. And so this is, this is um, you know, this is what we're, and this is what we're going to talk about. What do we do about the condition of our souls? So that this stuff does not drag us down. We have to know how to handle, we are going to have to know how to handle stress. And not with anxiety, and not with depression, but with power, with overcoming. And so, 
you know, I've been this series, this is the end of my three-part series, but the series has been on going back to the basics. And so we're going back to the basics. Back to the basics is back to the beginning. We're going back to the beginning. And back to the beginning is Christ, is Jesus. And you know, I did the very first talk and it was about Jesus and it was about the Savior. But I want to talk today, it says, for us, a child is born. For us. Do you guys catch that first part? For us. For us, a son shall be given. And the government will be on his shoulder. That's the government that's going to help us, by the way. And his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And this is who I'm going to talk about today, Prince of Peace. There shall be no end to the increase of his government and of peace. In other words, his peace will continue to increase and increase and increase. It increases. And then it talks about, um, he shall rule on the throne of David and over the kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness for the, for, from this time forward and forever, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. I just love that phrase. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. So we're gonna talk about the Prince of Peace I mean, just let that sit in your mind for a minute. The Prince of Peace. This Prince of Peace came in a manger, so humble, so gentle, so kind. Here he is, the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, almighty God. We talked last week about the majesty, absolute majesty of who he is. He holds everything in his hands. He is a consuming fire. And he is the Prince of Peace. And he belongs to you. And we belong to him. We belong to each other. He is the Prince of Peace. And he calls himself the Prince of Peace. That's the name he gave himself. Um, you may be like, okay, well, where is, if he's the Prince of Peace, what's going on? And that's a very good question. The interesting fact that might be interesting to you, other than all the CDC stuff that we basically all know every day, this was interesting. A study done by the Clergy Health Initiative at Durham-based Duke Divinity School found that clergy depression and anxiety is 13.5% higher than the national rate. So these are the people who are supposed to be teaching us how to walk in peace. They can't. They can't teach us how to walk in peace. Not the, you know, not the majority. I mean, obviously, they're outliers. There's some who can. But the, but the fact is, they're under it. How are they going to teach? The, the scripture says, my people die for lack of knowledge. There are answers. The Prince of Peace came, and he lives in us, and there are answers, and we are not victim to this, and there is an overcoming solution. And we're going to study it today. But we are part of a war between two opposing forces, the Prince of Darkness, the devil, and the Prince of Peace, which is Jesus Christ. And there is a victory, and it is guaranteed to us. Um, so I'm going to study John 14, and I the answers are in John 14. And so we're going to unpack this thing today. Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid and cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith, hold on to it, rely on it, keep going, and believe in me. That's John 14, 1. Now, that's the first, the beginning of the chapter, obviously, the end of the chapter. So you've got bookends in this chapter. The end of the chapter says, peace I leave with you, my perfect peace. 
I give it to you not as the world gives. Do I give it to you? I am leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. Government can't give it. Nobody can give it. Only Jesus can give it. So do not let your heart be troubled and do not be afraid. Listen, this is a commandment. Do not let your heart be troubled. Don't let it. You have control of it. So if he tells us don't do something, it means that we have the ability to not do it or to do it. We have the authority over stuff. So, you know, if the world tells us we're victims to it, the world tells us we're powerless against it. The world tells us there's nothing we can, that our anxiety, you know, maybe if you pop enough pills or sit on a therapist's couches forever. And, and I just have had friend after friend after friend who has been on therapist's couches for years. And I haven't seen him actually get better. And a lot of times I see him get worse. So something's missing here because God tells us he left his peace for us and he commands that we don't give in to anxiety and depression and fear and to not let our heart be troubled. So where is the gap? And this is what we've got to look at. So many of us are like, we want this. We're like, yes. And I try. It's not that I don't try. I'm trying. I'm, I'm trying not to let myself give in anxiety. I'm trying to think good thoughts. I'm trying. It's not that we don't try. So, so if it's not, and, and so trying doesn't seem to work. Nobody wants to feel that way. So trying isn't the answer. Then what is the answer? We're going to study the scriptures and find the answers. And it's really bookended in John 14 between the first John 1 and John 27. So we're going to study in between. Now, I did not, I'm gonna, what I'm going to do is I'm going to read through this um, and then I'm going to go back and unpack it. And I didn't do every verse for time's sake, but I did do the highlighted ones that are on this topic. So he talks about heaven. He talks about some other things sprinkled in there. So I, I cut that part out. Do not let your heart be troubled, afraid, cowardly. Believe confidently in God and trust in him. Have faith, hold on to it, rely on it. Keep going and believe also in me. I tell you the truth. Anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. If you love me, obey my commandments and I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate who will never leave you. He's the Holy Spirit. He leads you in truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him and it doesn't recognize him, but you know him because he lives with you now and later will be in you, which of course we're in later, so he's in us. Those who accept my commandments and obey them are those who love me. And because they love me, my father loves them and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said to him, Lord, why are you, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not to the world at large? Jesus replied, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them, and we will come and make our home with each of them. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me, and remember my words are not my own. What I'm telling you is from the father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I'm still with you, but when the father sends the advocate, that is my Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and will remind you of everything I've told you. Peace I leave with you, my perfect peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. I'm leaving you with a gift, 
peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift that the world cannot give. So don't let your hearts be troubled and don't let them be afraid. I don't have much more time to talk to you because the prince of this world approaches. He has no power over me, but he comes so that the world may learn that I love the father and do exactly what my father has commanded me. Come, let's get going. You got to hear the whole thing. And I hope that you can hear there is a flow. Um, there is a theme. There's peace. There's loving God. There's obedience. And there's power. And they all work together. You can't, you can't line item them out. They work together. So you can't just take one part and say, you, you got to understand, they, they weave together. This whole chapter constantly weaves together. And if you don't have all the elements, you don't have the results. It's like a cake. You know, you could put flour and sugar in it, but if you don't have the baking soda and the eggs and the whatever, you don't have a cake. And, and we're trying to live Christianity without all the ingredients. And when you put the ingredients in, and when you follow the directions, just like a cake, it works. It does. And it's beautiful, and it's delicious, and it's wonderful. And it's and it's. And it is, it's God is true to his word. He can't tell us that he will leave us peace and not leave us peace. He can't tell us that because he would not be God. Because he'd be telling a lie. He's not lying, so we're missing something. So what are we missing? So first, first of all, I want to start with just saying, this chapter is a love chapter. Do you hear all that love? This is a chapter on love. This is a, this is a chapter on love. If you could put that up, if you love me, verse 15, verse 21, the one who loves me, verse 21, because they love me, verse 21, my father will love them, verse 21, I will love them, verse 23, all who love me, verse 23, my father will love them, verse 24, anyone who doesn't love me, verse 31, I love the father, love, 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 love. This is a scripture on love. Now, I talked last week how I think we've gotten our love wires crossed. And, I, and I'm not going to repeat that, so if you can hear it, go back next week. Um, but I need to lay the foundation of love for all that I'm going to teach today. And this is the very first step in this teaching. There is not one human being that we will ever look into the eyeballs of who God does not love that Jesus did not die for, not one set of Bibles. I mean, person after person after person, God loves them, Jesus died for them. That love is so fierce. That love is so extreme. There is, I, you know, listen, I know maybe I'm preaching to the choir, but maybe I'm not. Because there are people who are saved, who have never experienced the love of God. And if you haven't experienced the love of God, I can't even go any further in this chapter. This is the foundation. The love that is so fierce, you could be in the darkest place, the darkest, most evil, most horrific place that you put yourself in, your fault, your decisions, your choices, and you can say, Father, forgive me, I repent, help me, God. And the light of God, the love of God, the power of God comes rushing in, and it will rescue you. He will kick down the door. He will be the hero. He will show up. This love is so great. This love will chase you down. When everybody else has abandoned you, when no one else is there, he's chasing you. When you feel worthless, he says, I give you worth and I give you value. It doesn't matter what you've done. 
The blood of Jesus, when you repent, it covers it. This is love. And that love has to be written in our hearts before we can move ahead. We cannot operate out of the scripture without the love of Jesus. It's the beginning. It's step one. Now listen, I got a lot of important steps today. But if we don't have step one, we don't have power. We don't have peace. We don't have forgiveness. And we can't give it either. We can't be an example of it. This is the foundation. So we're starting with love. This is a chapter on love. And it's about his love, our love, you know, and love moving every way. Um, and, and guess what? You were created and made to love him. You will have a hole in your soul. If you can't give and receive love between you and Christ, there will always be a hole. There will always be something missing. You got to receive it. And guess what? We have to give it back too. We're not just love consumers. It goes both ways. You know, we're not a bunch of spoiled children that just take, take, take. He created us to love him, to love. There, he is your first love. He is your last love. He is your amen. He is your beginning and your end. This is so vital. This is, this is everything. And, and if we understand that this is what we were created for, he created, I mean, think about it. When you have children, what's your expectation? That relationship. You know, they, 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 the, the relationship is what makes, you know, your family a family. The love, the personality, the interaction, the giving and receiving. We're his family. So, everything springs from this basic, fundamental, beginning truth. Because otherwise... What I take will get twisted and become something heavy-handed and stark with, and with no power. It, we, we, the, the term legalism, I, I don't like using it because I feel like that has now been manipulated to mean no rules apply. Rules apply. I'm going to show this to you. They are a blessing and a gift. But the point is, but the point is the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were so focused on them that they denied the power and killed the Christ. So we could be so focused on that, that list of rules that we can murder the Savior. So there's a balance, right? Because what do I always say? The devil's in the ditches. We're going to talk about the balance today. But it starts with love. So, okay, now we're going to do John 14. Now that we've laid that foundation. We are trying to understand the juxtaposition between the peace that Jesus promised and what we're living with. And our clergy being more depressed than we are. What's happening? What's missing? It's all in the book. Every answer is in the book. It's all here. So we're going to start back at the first. And now I'm going to get to preach it. Don't let your heart be troubled. Take responsibility. It's yours to take. You're not a victim. All of a sudden, the victim load of I can't help it was just taken away. You can. He said you can. He said you will. He said you must. He said... Don't let your heart be troubled. So just start with that. You have power, but you might not quite know how to. So I hope we're going to unpack that for you today. I want to give, bring the fullness of this power to you. So here it says, I tell you the truth. You know, when Jesus has to tell us, I tell you the truth, that's pretty bad. Like he would lie. But he's saying, I tell you the truth because he knows it's going to be too good for us to possibly believe. Like we're going to be like, that just blows. Like, how could that be? This is too extraordinary for me to believe. So he has to say to you, I'm really telling the truth. I'm Jesus. 
Of course I'm telling the truth. But this is so extraordinary, how could it be true? But it is. Anyone, please say anybody. Anyone, anyone, that means you. That means you. And you know what people say to me all the time? Well, you're just different. No, I'm not, I'm just a housewife. I'm just, I am not. And I'm telling you, if you knew my story, you would know I'm no different. I mean, believe me, this isn't about, this is anybody. This is anyone, okay? You, you who believe in me, you will do the same works I have done and even greater works. Please receive that. You will do what Jesus has done and even greater you. He said anyone. Because I'm going to be with the Father. You can ask for anything in my name and I will do it so that the Son can bring glory to the Father. Yes, ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Here you go. If you love me, obey my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. You will, he will never leave you, the Holy Spirit. He leads you in all truth, which for heaven's sakes, we need truth. We don't know what truth is anymore. I mean, how many of you have gotten emails, texts, whatever, this is happening, and this is the, you know, and you're just like, and, and it's just fake news, false news, but this is the only truth. He will lead you in truth. You will know what truth is because he's in you. The world can't receive him because it's, it isn't looking for him. It doesn't recognize him, but you know him. He lives with you and in you. He lives with us and in us. If you're a Christian, he lives with you and in you. He will do anything we ask in his name. And then you've got the Holy Spirit living in you, guiding you in truth. There's one sentence that's, that's the bridge. If you love me, obey my commandments. There's the bridge. There's a bridge between the power of Christ, power of Christ, power of the Holy Spirit, one sentence. If you love me, obey me. If you love me, obey me. Power on both ends of that. There's a sandwich, power offered on both ends, but there's something in the middle that is the bridge to that power. I want to read another scripture. All of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. For God is opposed to the proud. He defeats them. By the way, if you're living in pride, you don't even have to worry about the devil because God himself is defeating you. You want to live in self-righteous pride? Don't even, like, don't even worry about it. You've got God against you and Satan against you. So just, you know, I mean, deal with it. Deal with it. Better deal with that pride because you got God coming against you. But, and this is the part that's great, he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. Set aside self-righteous pride so that he may exalt you to a place of honor at the appropriate time, casting all your cares, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns once and for all on him, for he cares about you with the deepest affection and watches over you very carefully. Do you see this? There is dealing with sin, same pattern. Deal with sin. Blessing that follows. There's a comment. This is the same sentence. Casting all your cares on him. The worry, the fear, the anxiety. The worry, the fear, and the anxiety go away with the obedience. The power and the blessing. Do you see this, this plays together? You've got cast your care and your anxiety on him. Deal with your sin. When you deal with your sin and you stop playing games, listen, nobody's perfect. Everybody has stuff. But we've got to be quick to repent, quick to make it right, 
The second you say, Lord, I'm, I'm sorry. Help me not to do that again. I don't want to be that person. Gone. Bam. Forgiven. Never remembered again. Is that not amazing? He never remembers our sin again. We remember him and rehearse him and he tells us, quit it. Stop it. Never again. He's like, done. Gone. Under the blood. The power of the blood is so, so powerful. But we can't stay in that stuff. But when we live that way, we are able to cast our cares on him and we don't carry it around. There is such proof that, that obedience and power and lack of anxiety all go hand in hand. They're interwoven. You cannot pull out one without the other. See, you hear people say all the time, you know, just give your cares to God, just this, da, 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 which is exactly right. But you can't keep living in the filth and not acknowledge it and not deal with it and then think you're going to be anxiety free because guess what? Sin opens the door to Satan and he comes in and he brings misery, pain, suffering, anxiety, and hurt and all those awful things. So if you're going to open the door wide open to him, you will not enjoy the benefit of the, of the, of the blessing and the peace that God offers. They work together. John 14, 21 through 27, we're going to go to the next part of this chapter. Those who accept commandments and obey them are the ones who love me. Those who accept the commandments, not just accept them, but obey them. That's who loves me, he says. He's like, don't say you love me if you're not obeying me. And because they love me, my father will love them. So when you obey Jesus, he loves you, the father loves you, and I will love them and reveal myself to each of them. Judas says, Lord, why are you going to reveal yourself only to us and not the world at large? He doesn't reveal himself to everybody. He doesn't. He says, I, 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 I reveal, that's called intimacy. We're talking about the intimacy of Christ, the intimacy of Christ, hearing his voice. He says, this is the way walk ye in it. He says, don't go there. That's, that's dangerous or protects us or the blessing. That's what he's talking about. I mean, God is calling to every living soul. He, like I started, he loves every living soul. He will rush in to help every living soul. But the intimacy comes with obedience. It says, all who love me will do what I say. If you love me, you do what I say. My father will love them and we will come and make our home with each of them. You want to be close to God? Do what he says. He says it's contingent on something. He doesn't just pass it out the same to everybody. He doesn't pass it out the same to everybody. There is a contingency and it's undeniable. It's all over the word. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. You don't love God, you're not going to obey him. You do love God, you will obey him. It's that simple. It's black and white. It's one plus one equals two. I don't know why we don't ever hear this anymore. It's leaving us powerless. It's leaving us miserable. It's leaving us depressed. It's leaving us anxious. It's leaving us scared. It says, remember my words. These are not my words. What I'm telling you is from the Father who sent me. I'm telling you these things now while I am still with you. But when the Father sends the advocate, my, my Holy Spirit, he will teach you everything and remind you of everything I've told you, which means don't worry about it. I'm going to write this on your heart and mind. This is not something you have to work at. He's just going to, the, the, the Spirit of God is teaching you truth all the time if you receive it. And then here's this beautiful scripture, peace I leave with you, my perfect peace. Perfect peace. Who has perfect peace? Those who walk with Christ. I give you, not as the world gives you, do I give to you, meaning 
what the world offers is touch and go. You're going to feel peace one day because he loves you. You love him. Everything's perfect. The, you know, birds are singing, blah, blah. And then, of course, you know, give it a couple months or a couple years. And now you, like, you know, are suing each other. You know, I mean, the world gives tough. You know, it's like everything is great. This isn't the type of, this is not the type of touch and go peace that we get from the world. This is a constant peace that cannot be taken from you no matter what. He said, peace of mind and heart. It's a gift. It's a gift. We, you can't conjure that up for yourself. Listen, some of you are beating yourself up because you can't figure out how to get peace because you're trying to get it for yourself. You can't do it. Don't, don't, it's not yours. You can't drum that up. It's a gift. It only comes from the Messiah. Only comes from the Messiah. And the peace I give, the world cannot give, said, so don't let your heart be troubled. Don't let your heart be afraid. Don't let it. Don't let it. Interesting, as I read through these scriptures I just read, have you guys noticed Jesus and the Father have a love language? We all know about the love language book, right? Everybody has love languages. Gifts, this, that, whatever. Jesus and the Father, they have a love language. And by the way, when you love somebody, you want to know what their love language is. Because you want to know how to love them well. We, you know, I mean, that's what all marriage is all about, right? We want our husbands to listen. You know, they want to, you know, buy us something and send us on our way. You know, we're like, that's not love. However it works, we miss each other. They try and we, you know, Jesus has a love language. And if you love him, you're going to want to know what that love language is. And you're going to want to love him in a way that means something to him. He has a love language and his love language is obedience. That's what makes him feel loved. Because he said, it's not just what makes him feel loved, it's what is loving him. He gets to define what love is. He defines it. And his definition is, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And if you say you love me and you don't keep my commandments, you're a liar. That's what he says. He doesn't mince words. He doesn't mince words. He's not playing games. He says, we know we love, the next scripture is, we know we love God's children if we love God and obey his commandments. Loving God means keeping his commandments. Plain and simple. You can't say you love God if you're not willing to keep his commandments. And his commandments are not burdensome. For every child of God defeats the evil world. Do you see that every child? You defeat the world of evil around you by loving God. And you love God by obeying his commandments. That's how you defeat evil. Every child of God will do it. You need to defeat evil in your household. You need to defeat evil in your community. In our state, in our world, in our hit church, in our, you need to defeat evil. It's so simple. He's like, this is so simple, it's ridiculous. Love me. If you love me, you'll obey me. If you obey me, you'll defeat evil. Like, don't ever complicate it. We could end a whole lot of seminars right here. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and don't do what I say? He's just like, what are you doing? Who are you kidding? Not kidding me. You don't do what I say. You're playing games with yourself. Next scripture. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. When you listen to the scripture and don't do what it says, guess who you're deceiving? Just yourself. No one's buying what you're selling but you. You're selling yourself a bill of goods and going down the river thinking, oh, I'm so spiritual. I'm so this, that, whatever. And everybody else is around you going, eh, eh, like, ah. The only person being deceived is you. You're in a big pretend world all by yourself on that little island. Like, 
you know, it's very clear. Back to John 14. Jesus is saying, I don't have much more time to talk to you because the prince of this world approaches. He has no power over me. Satan has no power over me. No power over me. Or you, by the way. But he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what the Father's commanded. Come on, let's get going. He says, why is Satan coming against him? Why is Satan coming against you? Well, I'll tell you why. It gives us a chance to prove to the world that we love God, that we obey God, no matter what comes at us. Yeah. No matter what comes at us. And we, this is how we get to stand our ground. It's how we get to prove it. This is where, you're, you know, the, what is that? The rubber hits the road. Couldn't think of the word. The rubber hits the road right here. Right here, right now, when opposition comes. This is when he proves it. But here's the thing. Jesus obviously loved the Father. What he's referring to, and we all know this is what he's referring to, is loving the Father to the point of death, right? He loved the Father to the point of death. He obeyed the Father to the point of death. So let's not be Pollyanna, all right? The, the, the love of the Prince of Peace, this is really important. Prince of Peace doesn't always lead us away from the battle. He doesn't always lead us away from the problem. A lot of times, it goes against our way of thinking. The Prince of Peace leads us right into the battle, leads us right into the problem, and tells us to stay there because he wants to create a victory, but it's going to have to cost us a little something. He, he is not an avoider. He doesn't avoid. The Prince of Peace does not avoid conflict. Not a conflict avoider. Uh, he leads us into the fire. Just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He leads us straight into the lion's den. Just as Daniel. Uh, he leads us to the cross. We just ask Christ. He leads us through it, not from it a lot of times. He leads us through it with peace. Not always from it. Sometimes from it. Sometimes not. Up to him. We never know which way he's going to take it. Uh, you know, but, but here's the thing. The cross is such a scary thing, and it is. I mean, the cross is scary. Um, but there's freedom in it. It actually leads to peace, and not just for, not, just give me a second to explain this to you. You know, Christian, Christianity is a very happy religion. Christianity is about peace, love, joy. As a matter of fact, the, the first top three, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace. Top three. I mean, everybody in the world wants love, joy, peace. They're the top. This is a very, very happy faith. It is happy. The joy of the Lord is our strength. It's one of the scriptures. Joy makes us strong. This is the day that the Lord has created. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. There is power in joy. And he works through joy. There's juxtaposition that we have to understand. Again, how they weave together. And this is so vital because every time we get in one, see, we can hang out here and not understand that there's here, and then we're in a ditch, and then we don't live in power. So I need to explain to you that this is the most joyful faith in the world. And if you know much about other faiths, just study some other faiths and see the misery. See the misery. I've traveled around the world. I have been to places in the darkness. India, my goodness gracious. The, Japan. I mean, but anyway, I won't, I'm just telling you, every, this is joy. This is peace. There is light that comes with this. But at the same time, it's the cross. 
there is the cross, death to yourself. But see, God in his perfection understands that dying to herself produces joy. Dying to herself produces peace. So there's this, there's this uh, um, conflict because it's hard for us to believe that that's true. What's interesting is um, New York Times did, an, did this article. They did research. And they found that there was a direct correlation between people who use the pronouns me, my, I, and depression. People who use lots of personal pronouns about themselves are highly depressed. Because those who are uh, self-focused are miserable. So Jesus says, die to yourself. There's life. Life comes from dying to yourself. Um, you know, if you, next time you're depressed, take a second and focus and say, what am I thinking about? Why am I so down? Who, what, what are my thoughts dwelling on? I guarantee you, you're, you'll find that your thoughts are, are focused on me, uh, yourself, instead of dying to yourself. You're focused on yourself instead of dying to yourself. If you want to feel better, get over yourself. You know, you'll get, you'll feel a lot better. Uh, I, I, well, first of all, go ahead, Dylan, do the next one. The, the beginning one that I put up, the beginning scripture, I took a few. People will love only themselves and their money. They'll be ungrateful, unloving, puffed up with pride, love pleasure rather than God. They'll have a form of godliness, but denying its power. And what does he say to do with people like that? Stay away from them. And by the way, a lot of times we try to, we try to wait. I, at the beginning of when I first started doing ministry, I would see that person and I would pour myself out for them. And by the way, they would suck up everything I gave them and then some. And then they wipe their mouth and ask for more and more and more. And I kept thinking that this was the way to love people and this is the way to Jesus. And then you read this scripture and you're like, ah, he says, stay away from them. Bye-bye. Now I know this isn't where I'm going to invest because there's a lot of people out there who are sincere and are humble and ready to receive the word. So bye-bye. That's not where I'm going to pour myself out because I am accountable. I only have this much time in my life. I'm accountable where I invest it. I'm going to make good investments. Just like if I'm going to invest my money well, I'm not going to invest my time for eternity well. So yeah, we don't, he says, you know, when you see a selfish Christian, and I got to tell you, I said a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of times talking to Christians. I, I counsel more than I do anything in my life. That's what I do more than anything in my life right now. And I talk to a lot of Christians, and you know what I find? It's the root of almost every single situation. Selfish, selfish. So people have been saved forever and ever and ever. What about me? What about me? What about me? What about And I'm just like, oh, my marriage problems? Two people, what about me? Uh, somebody not taking care of somebody else. It is, you know, you hear all the time, you know, I have to learn to love myself. I want to throw up every time I hear that. I usually know that if somebody says that, it mostly means that they're mostly focused on themselves. It usually means they need to get over it. America needs to get over ourselves. Because the Bible says that at the end times, the big problem is going to be that people are so too in love with themselves. Maybe we need to stop focusing so much on me and stop focusing more on the kingdom of God. Stop, start focusing more on other people around us. And guess what? You'll feel happy. When I feel bad, you know what I love to do? Go help somebody. I love to get on a counseling call. Who needs my help? Who needs my help? 
I would like to not focus on me. I'd like to get on over myself. And how can I help you? And you know what? You help somebody else, you feel so much better. It, 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 it's being in a dark room staring at your navel day and night that will make you the most miserable human being on the planet. You know, we are in danger of producing an entire self-centered generation. Please, I say this all the time about raising kids. Please do not make them the center of the universe. They will be miserable. You will make them miserable and it'll be your fault because you have made them the center of the universe and then they think they're the center of the universe. And then nobody else in the world thinks of the center of the universe. And by the way, selfish people cannot have intimate relationships because you burn everybody around you, you wear them out and they have to step back from you. Because you're so focused about yourself, you exhaust everybody in the room. And you're always saying, you did this and you hurt my feelings and, 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 and nobody wants to be around that. So you've made your child alone when you do this. You, you, and, and here's the thing. They count and you count and God counts. See, the other side is, okay, well, I just don't matter. That's the other side. Oh, for heaven's sake. No, that's not every, you matter. They matter. God matters above all. We, we, we don't need ditches here. We just, we're talking about getting out of the ditches, you know, but, but I want to, I wrote this. I said, we should be producing powerful, fearless missionaries who go to the ends of the earth. But you know what we're producing? A bunch of 30-somethings living in their parents' basement complaining about the singles group. Seriously. We used to send out kids in their 20s and 30s, and they were world changers. And now they're just like, you know, I don't like the band, and where's all the, where are all the boys? Where are all the girls? Like, I, you know, I got to... Uh, and, and by the way, they're, the, the reason they're single is because they're so selfish they cannot stay in a relationship more than five seconds because it ruins their lives. Selfishness ruins everything. So why? So, so the cross is a gift is what I'm trying to tell you. Dying to yourself, getting over yourself is a gift to you as much as everybody else. God created the cross so that we would not be trapped in that miserable, lonely gluttonous place of self-centeredness. The cross lets us live a happy life. It's a happy religion. And the religion is centered on dying to yourself because it makes you happy, believe it or not. Counterintuitive, but most things are. Like working out is the most counterintuitive thing in the world to me, you know, like, you know, but it's the best thing for me. I'm just saying, you know, why do we think that this thing is supposed to be easy? Anybody who says to you, oh, well, marriage is easy or children are easy, we all know that's not true. Marriage, hard. Children, hard. Hard things are worth it. Lifelong commitments to, and by the way, in a marriage, if it's going to work, you're going to die to yourself. You're going to raise kids and they're gonna, you're going to have a good relationship, you're going to die to yourself. And both, everybody has to die to themselves. So why do we, why are we like, oh, this Christianity is supposed to be like this easy like circus thing i mean i don't even understand quite where it comes from but what i can tell you is that to receive the miracles that we all need in our lives to receive the miracles it takes commitment a full-fledged commitment so let's just use an example david running at goliath i'd say that guy's pretty committed he's all in he gets the miracle 
Uh, Moses standing up to Pharaoh. Those of us who've been reading through the Bible together, a lot of us in this room have been reading through the Bible together. Moses standing up to Pharaoh. I guess he's all in, you know? I mean, somebody's going to kill him. Otherwise, he's dead. Uh, Daniel going to the lion's den. Committed. Uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the fire. I, just, I call that a commitment. Um, and, and this is the thing. They're committed without knowing the outcome. They have no idea how that thing's going to turn out. We all know how it turns out because we've read the stories a million times. When they're living it, they had no idea. They were committed without knowing how it was going to turn out. They had no idea how it was going to turn out. And I'm going to prove it to you because the scripture says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied, Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves to you. Are you kidding me? Do you, you guys know, you guys know that Nebuchadnezzar was the most powerful ruler in the whole world. And they're standing in front of a blazing fire that if, when they just try to throw people in, the people trying to throw the people in were burned up and killed. And they are gutsy, gutsy. We don't need to defend ourselves to you. I think I'd be just like trying to like tone it down a little bit, be a little bit polite. They're not. They're just because, because you know what? Christianity makes you straight up. It does. The power of God makes you straightforward. We don't have to defend ourselves to you. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God whom we serve is able to save us. He will rescue us from your power, your majesty. But even if he doesn't, do you hear that part? Even if he doesn't, they didn't know for sure how it's going to turn out. They just were fully committed to obedience. Even if he doesn't, we want to make it clear to you, your majesty, that we will never serve your gods and worship the gold statue you set up. Uh, Christians in America, we get a little of this. We are kowtowing to evil. It's taking over everywhere. It's taking over our churches, our schools, our TV, our music, our, I mean, just fill in the blank. There's nothing left. I mean, nothing is taking over our government. We need to be like, I refuse to bow down to your, your evil, and I refuse to be politically correct. See, political correctness is getting the righteous people to sit down and shut up while evil gets to light itself on fire and consume everything. We need to start standing up and be bold the way Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego was. No matter, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but even if, I don't know how it will turn out. God doesn't tell us that because that's not what faith would be. All right. So, there is courage and commitment regardless of the way it turns out. They're at peace in a terrible situation. I mean, does that not, I mean, talk about peace. That's peace. That's boldness. That's courage, not knowing how it's going to turn out. That is the definition of peace right there. Believe it or not, that's peace. That's what peace looks like. You can be in the most adverse situation and have a bold, I mean, they're not, they're not wringing their hands. They're not distressed. They're in his face, for heaven's sake. Sometimes we don't start there. Sometimes we don't start at that. Sometimes we don't start just ready to run in. We need to get on over that. Um, but Esther is a prime example. Mordecai has given the message. She had no idea what was going on, and he gets the message to her. They want to kill all the Jews. You know, we're gonna, we're gonna, you know, do all this, you know, do this stuff, and I need you to go to the king. She said, I can't go to the king. He hasn't called me into his presence for three months. Their marriage is clearly not doing super great. And uh, so, and so she's like, I'm not really doing that great right now. I'm not in good favor myself. 
if you if I appear to him, he'll kill me. You can't go into the king's presence without being called. So it's a death penalty, death sentence. Really, people putting their lives on the line. You guys realize this? This is really people who are willing to put their lives on the line. And and so Mordecai, and she's like, it, it could be my death. And by the way, we know Mordecai was absolutely in love with Esther. You know, he's always gawking around the windows, checking on her day and night, sending messages. I mean, he loved this girl. He loved this girl. But what does he say? Oh, princess, I understand. It's, I wouldn't want you to do anything dangerous, you know, blah, blah, blah. My little princess, which by the way, that's what most of us would do with our kids today. We need to take some parenting lessons from Mordecai. You know what he says? He just says, girl, you could have better put that pretty little neck of yours on the line for God. Or you're going to die. Go ahead, put up the scripture. It says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Don't think because you're in the king's house, you alone and all the Jew of all the Jews will escape. For you, if you remain silent at this time, Christians, if we remain silent at this time while evil is taking over, deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your household will perish. And who knows, maybe you came into your royal position for such a time as this. Maybe you and I were born in America for a time like this when, it, when it's really at its belly up worst. Because we were sent here at this time to make a difference. We were sent here to be a light. But you know what? You're going to have to be brave, not knowing the outcome. Make a stand, not knowing the outcome. We don't know how it's going to go. She didn't know how it's going to go. Because you know what? She came back and she said, if I perish, I perish. She came back with the right heart. She got it right. Not right away. God is so good, though. We don't always get it right, right, right from the start. But he said, if I perish, I perish. That's where we have to be. That's where the miracle comes. That's where the power comes. But this is what's crazy. That's where the peace comes. That's actually where the peace comes. When you let it go. See, we have to stand up to evil. And when you stand up to evil, peace follows. When you kowtow to evil, your peace is ruined. I want to show you some scripture. Submit yourself then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist the devil. You got to resist him. Stop carrying a corner from him. Got to be a little fighter girls and boys and men and women. Got to fight. Where's our fight? Where's our fire? Next one says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. You're going to have to stand against the devil. So that when... The day of evil comes when, meaning the day of evil will come in every single person's life. You're going to have to face evil. There's no way you can just draw your shades and hide in your house and never have to face evil. You will have to face evil. So when you have to face evil, you better be prepared. Put on your armor. You may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm. Stand, 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 resist, stand, resist, stand. We need to be a force against evil. And when we are a force against evil, it leads to peace. And it puts evil in its place. Having done you all you can to stand. Sometimes it's standing in a bad marriage. Sometimes it's standing against loneliness. Sometimes it's being the only voice of truth in the room. Sometimes it's standing up to your child. You know, we're, we're very afraid of, of our children not liking us. Guess what? When you stand on the truth of God, it creates love. That is love. God is love. So standing on the truth of God with your children promotes love. Put on your armor and stand. So the next scripture says, don't throw away 
your fearless confidence. Guess what you can do? He will provide you with fearless confidence, but you can throw it away. I can throw away my own confidence. See, we hear all the time, I just don't have enough self-confidence. Yeah, because your confidence isn't supposed to be about you. This is, it's just another bill of goods. It's just another lie. It's just another psychobabble thing that's made its way into our churches, and it, and it weakens us. Right, you don't need to have self-confidence. You have confidence in God. Then God does it. And then he does things through you that blow your mind you never in a million years could have imagined. Don't throw away your confidence. It's yours to keep it or it's yours to throw away. It's up to you. It will be rich, richly, gloriously, and greatly rewarded. But here's the thing. You need patient perseverance so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he's promised. <sighs> Contingency. You can't throw away your confidence. You're going to have to persevere in patience, which means if you're persevering patiently, it means it's hard. You're doing something hard and you're sticking with it, even though it's hard and you're not giving up. But when you do that, there's a huge blessing. You receive the promises and it says, but my righteous one will live by faith. And here's the serious thing. I take no pleasure with those who shrink back in fear. That. You know, this unconditional stuff, well, he's not going to take pleasure in you if you're shrinking back in fear. He will not take pleasure in you. He will not take pleasure in you. There's a condition. But we do not belong to those who shrink back. And that's what I love about the author. He's like, yeah, but that's not, that ain't us. You know, he's like assuming that nobody is going to be there shrinking back in fear. He's like, that's not you. That's not me. That's not who we're going to be. We have faith. See, he says, we are the ones who have faith and are saved and overcome. That's how we overcome. Righteousness makes you bold. In this Back to the Basics series, every single time I have done, I have used this scripture, and every time I, I just let the righteous are as bold as a lion. I have used this scripture the three times in a row. The righteous are as bold as a lion. God. Are you bold as a lion? Because your righteousness should make you bold. Not fearful, not depressed, not cowering in a corner with your hands over your head. It makes you bold. And peace comes out of boldness. Um, you know, what, what fear tries to tell you is, if you sit in a corner and don't make any noise, evil will leave you alone. If you just don't rattle its cage, you leave it alone, it'll leave you alone. Just don't, just don't confront it. Just ignore it. Just let it be the white elephant in the room. If you just ignore evil, it'll all be okay. That is such a lie from the pit of hell. Every single thing in scripture says when you see evil, you run at it. You take authority over it. You stand against it. You never, you persevere. Evil requires and demands that we push back, that we fight back. It demands it. Otherwise, it's you know, there's a, there's a scripture. I mean, I mean, a U.S. policy, and we all know it. It says we don't negotiate with terrorists. Why don't we negotiate with terrorists? Because if you negotiate with the terrorists, they only want more and more and more. Well, terrorism is evil. It's the characteristics of evil. You cannot negotiate with evil. You have to confront it. You have to take. You have to push it back. And it says, you know, so. I'm going to give you a quick example. Pacifism, peace at any price, right? Peace at any price. Peace at any price never, ever, ever, ever leads to peace. If you are trying to find peace 
You will never find it at any price. And a good example, if, if, if the world had been if all pacifists, you know, the crazy peace people, you know, all pacifists, we hate war, blah, blah, blah. Well, when Hitler came in, would he, would he have been like, oh, well, nobody likes war, so we're just going to, we're going to be nice to the Jews, and I'm not going to try to take over. I'm like, no, you can't. I mean, you got to fight. You got to fight against evil. The Bible says that evil is like a roaring lion. The enemy of yours, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, fiercely hungry, seeking someone who he might devour. But resist him, be firm in your faith. And the beginning of this verse says, be sober-minded, be well-balanced, self-disciplined, be alert and cautious at all times. In other words, there's something you do. There's You play a part. You have a responsibility. We've kind of made Christianity responsibility less. Like it's just supposed to all happen to us somehow. No, God makes us, there's parts we do. We resist, we stand, we fight, we push. And then when we stand firm, the, 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 the roaring evil lion of, of Satan cannot devour us. You know, if you have ever watched the National Geographic, you know that they're, the fiercest animal in the kingdom is a lion. And you've got, you know, have you ever seen two lions fighting? And they, uh, the viciousness, have you ever seen that on National? I can't even watch it on National Geographic. I've seen it before. I'm like, switch that channel. It's like too, too violent for me. We have a fight waging and we have got this fierce lion that, that the Bible talks about, which is Satan. And we've got the lion of Judah. You got to pick a side. There is a war waging between the lion. Listen, the world at large is a jungle and there are two lions and there is a clash. And, and those who fear the roar and fear the fight are devoured. That's it. You will be devoured. Um, but here's a, the good news. And the next scripture says, you will tread on lions and cobras. You will trample great fierce lions. You. You, 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 you. Not the preacher. Not you will do it. Because why? He loves me. Says the Lord, wait, how do you, wait, how do you tread on fierce lions? Loving God. What is loving God? What did we learn? Obeying God. When you love God and obey God, you have peace, which means you have courage, which means you tread on fierce lions, which means you win. You got a backbone. You got some fight. Because he loves me, and so therefore he obeys me. I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me, the Lord says, and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. We are not supposed to be lion tamers. We're supposed to be lion crushers. We are not supposed to be making friends with evil. We are not supposed to be ignoring evil. We are not supposed to be pacifist towards evil. We are to crush it. Now it's time for us to start making a stand more and more and more. Starting in your own household. Starting with yourself. Start with you. Work out from there. Start with you. What are you ignoring in your life? What evil are you winking at? What evil are you making? What, is there pride? Is there gossip? Is there selfishness? Is there, you know, we like to point at the big, big ones. And maybe some of us aren't doing the big, big ones. And we ignore all the other stuff that makes us powerless and lose our peace. If you are selfish, you already have lost the game. You got to get on your knees with the Lord. And he will rescue you from that. He's promised to. There are so many stories in the Bible about taming, not taming, whooping lions. There's the strength 
of righteous people against lions, the fiercest of all animals. So many stories. One of my favorite is you can put the next scripture up. David had three renowned men. And this dude, Benaniah, a valiant warrior, on a snowy day, he chases the lion down in the pit and kills it. I love this story. Because, of course, you know, we're just like, wow, this guy came out of this situation. Like, he, he lived. He lived. The, the, the amazing part about this story is not that he lived. The amazing part of that story is that he came up out of the pit. Which means he went down into the pit chasing that thing. The lion, see, I guarantee you that lion started chasing him. It started that the lion was coming after him and he's like, oh, no, you did I'm running at you. I'm running at you. I'm running at you. There is a, there is a force of courage. Now, that guy obviously had peace that led to courage. He was, he was living in a way. He was trained. He was prepared. He didn't fear that lion. That lion needed to fear him, and he killed it. You know, it's not natural or normal to see a 500-pound beast, ferocious beast, running at you. And for you to be like, I think I'll take that on. That's who we're supposed to be as Christians. When we see that thing running at us, we're not supposed to be normal. Why on earth have we tried so hard to be normal? Why have we tried to neutralize the gospel to fit in with everything that's normal out there? The world is nothing special about that. There's nothing power about that. There is defeat. We, we, we need to look at this thing and be like, okay, let's roll. I got Jesus. I am going to do this thing, and it's going to be great. And you know what that did when he defeated that lion? It proved himself. His, it proved his faith. It proved his valor. He ended up becoming King David's personal bodyguard. And then from there, he became the commander-in-chief of Solomon's army. That lion that came rushing at him, which seemed life-threatening at the time, ended up being the thing that launched him. Launched him into an entire life. You know, the thing that comes at us, if we will respond with obedience, with peace, with faith, with strength, that thing that's running at us can be the very thing that launches us. So what, that's what adversity was created to do. You know, peace shows the world that we genuinely trust God. I've had a few times, I mean, it's one of these things you can't really talk about much, but I've had a few times where I've, the Lord has spoken to me. You know, I don't know how to explain it. It's a very unique thing, and it's a very amazing thing. But one of the times was on my 41st birthday, and one of the things he said to me is, because my life at that point was all over the place. And he said to me, I mean, I, I was already ministering. I was already whatever, but I, my personal life was still broken. My husband was thought I had gone off the religious crazy end of the train, and, you know, like he just, I mean, it, it was hard. I was alone. I didn't have a friend on board with me. I just was very alone at that time. And the Lord said to me, he said, Stephanie, you got to stop trying to figure out how it's going to work out. Because when you sit there and try to figure out how it's going to work out, you move into worry and only your peace will show the world that you actually trust me. The second you stop having peace, you actually have stopped trusting me. And when you're trying to figure out how it's going to be, you will never, ever figure it out. And boy, I tell you, the twists and turns, uh-uh. Could it, could it never, 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 never. I couldn't have sat there and like in my little prayer closet. And he's just like, stop praying about this stuff. Just be like, move on. 
Just be like, Lord, I'm not having to work this out. I just have peace. Here you go. Cast all your cares on him. But of course, before it said cast all of your cares on him, it said obey him. Live a life of obedience. And when you do, you're carefree. You really are. Because you, you don't know how it's going to turn out, but you know it's going to be in God's hands. Another lion slayer was Samson. And I want to show you this. This is really cool. You know, he and his parents are going to the, yeah, go ahead. He and his parents are going to the, some, some town. And it says, and this young lion all of a sudden attacks him in the road. And at that moment, the spirit of God came powerfully on Samson. The lion confronts him. He, the power of God wasn't there present for the adversity that he was facing until the adversity came. Some of us say, I don't know how I'd handle it. I don't know what I'd do. But yeah, because you don't have what you need until it's upon you. But when that fierce lion of life, whatever it is, comes launching at you, if you are walking with the Lord, there is a promise of the Spirit of God just pouring out into you, and you go, and he defeats that thing like it's nothing. He just defeats it like it's nothing. See, we can't worry ahead about what's coming. We just say, God got it. The Spirit of God will come upon me when I need it. When that lion comes, I refuse to back down. I will launch at it, and I will be victorious. Look at Daniel. You know, we know Daniel and the lion's den. Those lions became his friends. Those lions that were sent to devour him, he cuddled with them all night long, which how cool would that be? All night long, just sat there petting him, hanging out, lions, Jesus, and Daniel. But guess what? Those lions were not tamed until prior to him first having the courage three times a day to pray in front of that window to say, I don't know how this is going to turn out. I refuse to kowtow to evil. I refuse to fear it. You can't shut me up. You can't shut me down. So when he had the courage, and, and it didn't spare from the lion's den, I don't know what he felt like falling into that. It doesn't tell us that God told him that he wouldn't be devoured. He didn't know how this thing's going to turn out. He just was committed no matter what. And it ended up being the thing that launched him to the you know most powerful second to the king. In the world. That king was the most powerful king in the world at the time. I'm just saying our lions, if we will not be fearful of them and instead walk in peace, which leads to courage, will be the thing that launches us. I love this scripture. Then the one, then one of the 24 elders said to me, stop weeping, stop bellyaching, stop worrying, stop being upset, stop it. Dry your eyes. Look closely. The lion of the tribe of Judah has overcome and conquered. That's all you need to know. Drop Mike and the story. Seriously, that's all we need to know. The Lion of Judah, he's overcome and conquered. Blow your nose, wipe your eyes, move on. Let's go, let's roll. There's a important part to this that I've touched on, but I want to close with this because this is vital to the victory. Vital to the victory, and it's in all three Gospels, and Dylan, you can kind of pop through these, but it says the same thing in all three Gospels. So you know the Lord really means it if he says the exact same three three times in a row. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. It says he called the crowd along with his disciples. He wants to make sure everybody knows. Whoever wants to be my disciples must deny themselves. Maybe if you don't have peace, you're not denying yourself too much enough. 
who would ever think that's the solution? Everybody thinks the only way to peace is to gorge myself on more of me. What if the answer is you need to deny yourself a little more and you'll have a whole lot more peace, have a whole lot more power. Maybe you're like a big fat tick and you need to just stop gorging yourself on yourself. Well, maybe we just need to move on from this because he says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me and the gospel will save it. Here's the thing, peace does not come without loss. Loss of yourself. Getting over yourself, getting over myself, getting over us and being resurrected in power. Even Jesus could not be raised to the fullness of his power without dying first. If Jesus has to die first to be resurrected to the fullness of his power, who do we think we are? We have got to, we have got to lay our lives down. The outcome is God's business. We don't know how that thing will end. We don't know what it'll look like. We don't know, but, but we can guarantee one thing. We can say, I guarantee that my part of the story, that for me, I'm gonna guarantee that I stay on that cross, that I obey God. That's the part I can guarantee of my own story. I can guarantee, I don't have power over the other stuff, but I have power over me, that I will do that. I want to end with one final thought, and I'm going to try to wrap it up. The Hebrews 11, you guys know, last week I spoke on Hebrews 11 and all the miracles, the unbelievable miracles. You know, one person made a thousand fly, go to flight, and you know, all this stuff. I mean, you know, dead people are resurrected and people are healed and all these things, amazing things. But it said, one thing is in common, and I'm going to read this to you. All acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. All of the people who received those miracles acknowledged that they were strangers on earth. That this is not the main event. See, we get very anxious and worried when we think this is the main event. And when we think this is the main event, we're way too attached to the outcome because it has to turn out the way we need it to because it's all about here and now. And the miracles don't come to that. The, the miracles, God doesn't respond to that. God's power comes when we say, I don't know how, I don't know how this will turn out, but I'm not, the, the outcome I'm not attached to. What I'm really attached to is honoring God with everything I got. What I'm really attached to is, is not what I get out of this, but who I am in Christ. How I love him. My attachment is how well I love him. Because that means everything to him. He's made it very clear that means everything to him. And by the way, when, when, when our attachment is how well we love him by obeying him, the power comes, the peace comes, everything, the blessings come. We've seen that repeatedly through the scriptures. I just want to end on one scripture. I heard a voice in heaven say, now have come the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Messiah. That's what we're looking for, right? For the accuser of the brethren and the sisters who accuse them before God day and night, which is Satan, he's always accusing. You're not enough. You're not this. You're not that. Of course, it's not about, we don't, we just take that off of ourselves and put it on Christ. The accuser before God day and night has been hurled down. Love that. Satan hurled down. But this is the best part. 
They, us, we, the children of God, triumphed over him, Satan, by the blood of the lamb, Jesus, but not just Jesus alone, not just him alone, by the word of our testimony, to make it a stand, saying it out loud, unashamedly. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. COVID has shown us that a lot of people are shrinkers. It'll show us what we are. Do we shrink or do we run at it? Do we, do we chase that lion right into that hole and drag it out by its tail? Are you a chaser or a shrinker? And if you're a shrinker, it's okay. You could be like Esther, make a change, make a change. Don't love your life so much that you're afraid to die. Because when you're afraid to die, then you lose your peace. When you're afraid of this, this could happen, I won't have enough money, or I won't have anybody to love me, or I'll be alone, or fill in the blank. Your focus is this life. And just like Peter, when he got out of the boat, when he took his eyes off of the Savior, put it on the wind and the waves, he sank. You can't have your focus on this life, or you will be full of anxiety and depression and won't have power. The, uh, the focus has to be the kingdom of God. And we have power over that. And then you can choose, don't let your heart be troubled. And it's true, it works, I promise you. It really, truly, truly works. Because I faced so many lions. I can tell you stories all day long. Lion after lion after lion after lion. By the way, it doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. We're not anesthetized. Faith does not anesthetize you to the pain. I say that all the time. I wish it did. It doesn't save you from the pain. It doesn't save you from it not be life, life hurts. It just gives you the victory. It gives you peace in the middle of hurting sometimes. So, okay, I'm going to end it there. Father God, oh Lord Jesus, thank you for helping us overcome just today, God. It's helping us overcome thing after thing after thing. Lord, now I just pray, God, let everybody who hears this, God, let them be overcomers. Let them not be shrinkers. Let them let go, Father God, of the outcome. Let go of control of the outcome. And fully, <clears throat> committedly place their life in their hand, in your hands, so they can be like David and Ronnie Goliath. Or be like Daniel and be thrown into the pit. Or be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and just say, I don't care who you are. You're standing with evil and I, I, I will oppose this to my death, even if he doesn't save me. Even if. God, Lord Jesus, we will lay our anxiety down when we pick up our cross. Help us to die to our selfishness and be resurrected in power, peace, love, and joy. Thank you that the faith that you give us in the scripture is full of love, full of joy, full of peace. Father God, I pray this now. I pray this over everyone who has heard this teaching, Father God. I pray the Lord bless you. I pray the Lord make his face shine upon you. I pray the Lord be gracious to you. I pray the Lord turn his face towards you. And I pray the Lord give you peace. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. amen.